It goes all the way back to Lee Iacocca, the guy that revolutionized Dodge. He said, you can be brilliant, but brilliance without the ability to communicate is going to get you nowhere. And this is the fundamental frustration, I think, of a lot of technicians, is that I, I think that if you're a plumber today, if you're an electrician today, if you're an air conditioning technician, gentlemen, listen to me. Hear what I'm saying. You're brilliant. There are not a lot of people that can do what you can do. Now, make sure that people understand your brilliance. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you again, and we are looking forward to bringing Mr. Todd Lyles on the show today. That's right. He is joining us as Service Excellence Champion, and we are excited to bring him to the show, and the content that he has coming along with him is going to be great. But before we do that, we're going to break into a little bit of an introduction ourselves and turn to Brian for our quote. In a very general way, our society has fallen out of love with the skilled trades. Part of the problem is a myriad of myths and misconceptions that surround the jobs themselves. But the biggest cause is our stubborn belief that a four-year degree is the best path for most people. Mike Rowe. Oh, you stole my thunder. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) Who else, right? Yeah, I could tell. Um, You know, service excellence and our our, uh, new friend uh, who's here to talk about service excellence today is not um, necessarily about teaching kids the trades, but it it's it's becoming more and more part of the trades. Like it's almost a a branch of the trades, which is you know communication, um, learning to speak to homeowners and communicate more effectively. It's almost ingraining itself into the skilled trades, particularly in a in a way that people who just get really good at a trade and not the communication piece see their income get literally dwarfed by the people who get decent at the trade but also decent at communication and I was like I was just thinking about the the four-year degree thing and you know don't take it from me because I don't have a four-year degree I don't have a four-day degree I have a general education diploma that I got, uh, I don't know, 15 years after I dropped out of high school. So my GED degree uh, did not take four years. It was like a four-hour test that I took in <laughs> Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, but I don't, you know, you know, I don't subscribe to this idea that the four-year degree is for everybody. I don't even think it's for most people. I don't even think it's for half the people because most of the people I know in the trades and in my life are not the type of people who can sit in a classroom and effectively learn anything, Mm. but they are forced and and funneled into that classroom, uh, guilt, guilt tripped into that classroom by a society that 
most of the people who do the talking and, and are of influence are the kind of people who get a lot out of a classroom setting. And that's the gist of it and the majority of it. And, you know, we're, this is on the heels of some somewhat recent decisions to have the trades uh, take part in paying off the college debt of a lot of people that aren't in the trades. Um, and, you know, however you feel about that is how you feel about that. But it, it pains me to see that a lot of that college debt was not used. It had no bearing on the person's career. How do I know? Because we have people here with college debt who don't do anything related to what they went to college for. Don't feel like they learned how to learn, quote unquote, or whatever that is. Um, but they're often running in a great career, but they have or had college debt that had to be paid off because they felt like they were just supposed to go get a degree. And I like the fact that we have Todd Lyles on from Service Excellence today because, you know, this Service Excellence is a course that you can take and we don't promote one over another. I think that if you're in a place where you communicate with homeowners on a daily basis, I don't care if it's on the phone, going to the home, or even training technicians who do it, you should be involved in courses like this. You should be soaking up as much information as possible. I've always done it myself. I've, there's never been a time when I could, when someone could say, I promote this, but I don't do it. I'm a, I'm a lifelong nonstop learner of the art of communication and teacher of it. But I look at like what it costs to get these four-year degrees. And, you know, I talked to some people here who, who had college debt and have college debt. Um, and according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 66.7% of 2017 high school graduates enrolled in colleges or universities immediately after high school. College tuition has never been more expensive. According to Business Insider, college tuition has grown by more than 260% since 1980. The average cost of tuition, room, and board, and fees at a four-year post-secondary institution in 1980 was $9,438. Today, it's $23,872. Wow. That's an average. Now, for me, looking at it, I just see it a little bit differently. You know, this back to the future thinking that, that I've been teaching a lot in selling and like, you know, little... uh 88 mile an hour DeLorean back to the future was a big series when I was big movie series when I was uh 20. Oh, how dare you? Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, so we've been talking about this and I'm just like, I'm like, if you could take $24,000 and either give it to yourself, if you could give yourself $24,000 at the beginning of your career, would you take that $24,000 and go enroll in, in a university for the vast majority of degrees that you could get for that $24,000? What if you could take that same $24,000, get into a plumbing career, get into an HVAC or electrical career, take some of it and, and go put yourself through the Ultimate Technical Academy or Go Time University or one of these kind of um, sped up versions of trade school 
And that wouldn't take 24000 not even close, and then spend the rest of it on something like service excellence, you know, um, or one of, one of the other communication-based, presentation-based um, training programs. How much further along would you be if you had done that in the overwhelming majority of cases, certainly with people in the trades, then had you, I know, you know, in hindsight's 2020. So, you know, I feel bad for a lot of these people that came into this trade with college debt and either a degree or no degree. In some cases, they didn't even get the degree stayed for two or three years, figured out it wasn't for them. Can't even file bankruptcy. Like you can't get out of this debt. But how much further along would you be if you had taken half that money and put it into something like this, uh, a, a um, presentation training course, bought a bunch of audio books on communication and body language and, and, you know, maybe enrolled in the Black Swan Group two-day seminar and let Chris and Brandon Voss and Derek Gaunt and them train you on, you know, the art of communication and, and negotiations. Man, I can't even imagine how much further along a person's going to be and more well-rounded than just sitting there with a professor spewing <clears throat> probably very quality education at you. <laughs> The word spewing is what I use when I talk about quality education. Yeah, me too. I'm, yes. I'm, I spew a lot during Wednesday and Thursday morning meetings. Mm -hmm. so. Yep, yep. Yeah, so maybe I'm talking to myself here as a parent of a 17, 14, 8, and 4-year-old. Um, maybe I'm just thinking out loud about, you know, where that kind of money is better used. But you hear you know, how much we pay for like a presentation trainer to come in or how much we, you know, we promote our techs. Sometimes we'll pay in some cases, in some cases we just promote techs to go spend some money and go to a two day event put on by one of these trainers. And you hear people balk at the money, but it, it really is just because you have to whip out a credit card. you never hear people like I had to look up how much a four year degree averages. I, I know people who are, who are actively in college and got out of college and didn't graduate and did graduate. And I'm asking those people like, what's the average for something? Like, oh, I have no idea. It's all over the map. Like you don't have a concept of it. No, no concept. It's just not thought about because it's a loan you just automatically qualify for. But if you were to just give a kid 24 grand and say, make the best possible investment you could in yourself, I don't think most people <laughs> I just can't imagine most people are going to go, let me go get an art degree or something like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which art I'm talking about. That, that would, yeah, that would be tough, Brian. And I think what you're generally getting at there is the concept of return on investment. Return on investment is something that I think is, is a valuable concept and really where is the best return for your money? So the idea of return on investment in business is generally if I spend X amount of dollars here, say in marketing or say in, uh, buying a new truck or, um, you know, hiring new people, how much money is going to return from that initial investment, right? They call that ROI. The same concept can exist in our own personal life too. So if I spend uh, 30 minutes a day on the treadmill, what is my expected return of investment? Well, I will probably uh, have a better, a better uh, heart, you know, a better cardiac system. I will probably uh, be a little bit more in shape. Maybe I'll shed a couple pounds. I'll probably feel better about myself. So there's a lot of return for the investment of 30 minutes a day. But what about in your career? What about you personally? 
what have you done to invest in something and what is the expected return? And when I say something, I mean you. What have you done to personally invest in you and is the return justified? So the answer to that question can come in a, in a number of uh, variations, right? So you can invest in tools and there can be a good return on making sure the job is done right. Perhaps you can do the job faster. Certainly you can do the job uh, with pride, etc. So there's a return there. You can invest in technical training. You can read over manuals. You can go to seminars. You can sit in on vendor showcases, those types of things. And you can learn more about the product so you can be more of a a revolutionary when it comes to standing in front of the client, you can just rattle off stats and, and you know exactly what's going on when you get there and you can troubleshoot things a lot faster. And the return is you're more efficient, you're more proficient, you're more knowledgeable, and you're an expert in that particular item or field. But what Brian is asking about and what we often talk about here is the return on investment on personal training, communication, understanding the client, understanding yourself, understanding your words, understanding how all of those things tied together in the same conversation to make an impact on what you do. I think that's something that Todd is going to talk about today. But the question that I want to leave you with here as we kind of close down our intro is what investment are you doing to personally make your communication better? And if you are making an investment, what returns are you seeing on it? Is it worth it? Or should you divert some of those funds elsewhere? Yeah. The question I want to leave everyone with is uh, if, according to Business Insider, the cost of tuition has gone up 260% since 1980, have expected wages when you get out of said college gone up 260%? I, I think the answer is no. But in the trades, trades, the wages are on the rise, man. Oh boy, are they. Imagine what a master electrician journeyman electrician was making in 1980 versus what the average Dude, is my grandfather was a, a one-man band electrician i can't even imagine he was scratching at the at the uh, wages of today's yeah and now that this private equity game is off and running and if you don't know too much about that hit me up and i'll i'll uh show you where to go to learn more about it but there's more and more and more money coming into the trades and more than that has ever been. And it's, it seems to be getting bigger and bigger, not smaller and smaller. So this is a great time to be getting the next generation into the trades. And um, I just want to prompt everybody to spend some money on your education. Just make sure you know where it's going and what the, what the uh, return on that investment is supposed to be. It's never guaranteed with, with any type of education, but you can guarantee that if you're in the trades and you start getting better at communicating, your income's going to go up. You're going to become a better networker. And, you know, as uh, what is it, Grant Cardone, who always says your, your net, your network is your net worth. That's good. Gary V maybe, um, becoming a better communicator is going to open just all kinds of doors for you. Speaking of opening doors, that's what we're about to do right here as we put Mr. Todd Lyles in your passenger seat. (laughs) 
Our guest today is Todd Lyles. He is the founder of Service Excellence and creator of the Press Play Training System. He began his career in the HVAC trades in 2001, and over the last 21 years, Todd has been a tech, a salesperson, a trainer, and is now an entrepreneur. His work mission is to, quote, ignite the power within, end quote, the businesses and the people of the residential services industries. Todd founded Service Excellence because he is called to help contractors. He says in a quote, I'm meant to help contractors. It's a calling. It's my mission. Service Excellence is the vehicle I use to accomplish my mission. Todd was the director of training for Clockwork Home Services Success Academy before he founded Service Excellence. And after leaving Clockwork, Todd co-founded Drain and Air Rescue in Austin, Texas, where he served as a general manager. Today, Todd leads a team of 15 influential people at Service Excellence and is growing in the trades. With that, welcome to the show, Todd. Hey, Brian and Nate. Thank you guys so much for having me on the Waste No Day podcast. Thanks for joining us, man. And it was kind of a quick, I don't say quick notice, but like um, I just saw a video of yours online and I was like, man, Todd's dynamic and I like I like the way you train and your, your affect. And I thought, um, I, I think I watched maybe one or two more short clips and I was like, you know what? Want to get them on the show, and you were automatic, quick to just respond and say, "Yeah, let's do it, man." So, thank you for coming on. <laughs> hey, man, it's my pleasure. Yeah, so Todd, uh, we want to hear about not only your story but also all the things that you're doing at Service Excellence because I think the trades and the home services industry is near and dear to your heart, and we are particularly interested in guests who have a lot to offer in making the service industry better specifically the men and women who are on the front line. So before we jump into all of that great content, let's hear about you. Who is Todd Lyles and how did you get here? All right, man. Appreciate that. So uh, first thing you got to know is that I am I'm from Mississippi and that's important, right? Because uh, I grew up uh, on this little farm in Mississippi with a stepfather who was a logger. And when I was 11 years old, uh, Brian, I said, you know what? Hauling logs in the woods and hauling hay is too hard. So I made the decision at 11 I was going to do something easier, which eventually got me to building homes with my brother-in-law when I was 14. Oh, that and seems much easier. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, 11 years old, cutting down trees, literally driving my alcoholic stepdad uh, truck to uh, take the trees to the paper mill at 11. I would jump at a seat when it was time for him to check in at the front. So uh, it was hard work, man. So I started building homes at around the age of 11 with my brother-in-law, who still does that today. Um, moved into mechanic work from the age of 16 to 18, and I went off to college. And then uh, after college, I, I really got a super passion for business. And uh, the short version of it was, I happened to negotiate a contract for maintenance at this mechanical company, pardon me, this paper mill that used these things called water baths. And no one at the company that I was working for could fix them. I brought one back and said, I'll see if I can fix it. And you guys are, you guys are technicians. It, it essentially is like a little mini air conditioner. And it had a fan in there, a condenser fan motor. I replaced that condenser fan motor. I cleaned up the condenser. I brought it back. It worked like a champ. And the gentleman, Tom Bauer, that ran this Georgia-Pacific plant was so impressed. He asked if our company could write him up a maintenance program. And I said, sure. So 
So I wrote him up a maintenance program. I said, Tom, how much do you pay for these water baths? He's like, uh, they're about $20,000. How many of these do you have? Oh, we've got them all over the plant, probably 24 of them. Okay. Uh, how often do they fail? Seems like once a year. Similar type failures? Yeah, I think so. So I wrote a $24,000 maintenance agreement to essentially go in there and clean condensers and replace condenser fan motors when they failed. And I told that story to a guy named Mike Bellissimo, who owned a small air conditioning company in West Monroe, Louisiana. And he said, Todd, boy, you could sell air conditioning if you could do that. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. Uh, I felt like I was always a trades guy, a smart trades guy. So uh, around the age of 21 or so, I started officially my career as an HVAC technician slash marketing guy. It was a weird combination of doing both. And um, yeah, man. So what is this? Uh, 2022. So 21 years, half of my life or better has been uh, in the profession of HVAC, plumbing, electrical, roofing. But really longer than that, because like I said, I was building homes when I was 14. Wow, that, that is uh, quite a backstory. And so that, is that where most of the, like, the passion for the mechanics and the, the trades came in? Um, probably like you guys, man. When I was a kid, I was tearing apart my toys, uh, looking in there to see what was going on, right? Just, just, just had, a, had a joy for that. Um, but I think, I think maybe a little bit of what was different about, about my background was uh, where a lot of my buddies that were in trade school, who all were my best friends, right? All my best friends were the guys that were, were in trade school. Um, a lot of those guys didn't look at school like a, like a fun thing. It, it, it wasn't for them. And I know that a lot of technicians are kind of generally like that. And I would encourage these guys like Cassie and Derek to, to you know, uh, really uh, embrace what they were doing and, and letting them know that these things were, were good things and having a passion for it and helping them study. So it started all the way back in school when I'm just hanging around guys from, you know, South Mississippi that are probably like my family, you know, going to work in the trades or become welders or whatnot, just, just pumping them up and saying, hey, you know, not everyone can do this. So always having uh, a passion for blue collar work and also having a passion for, for studies, man. I, you know, I've almost always been a straight A every now and then be student and, and I love it. So for me, it's a combination of marrying um, the trades, marrying together my passion for education. And guys, believe this or not, th- this may sound wacky what I'm about to tell you after talking about this blue-collar nature of myself, but I actually went to, school- to, to college on a performing arts scholarship in theater. Now, I know that sounds crazy because <laughs> I'm telling you how blue-collar I am, um, but when I was 16, my mom kicked me out of my house. Because she came in uh, one night and, and you know, this was when my mom was going through a divorce with that stepdad that I was telling you about. And I was living life unsupervised. And I was getting into drugs and girls and partying. And she came in one night and I was laid out on the floor with a stereo next to my head, you know, blaring as loud as it could go. I couldn't hear it. Uh, you know, I, I was drunk or hungover or whatever. She didn't know what to do with me, so she kicked me out of the house, and, and I had to go live with my father. And uh, we all have these people in our lives that, that mean a lot to us. My mom's one, my dad's one, but another person is a guy named Dan Obey, who I'm still friends with today. 
And Dan was the uh, the speech and debate professor. And in my mind, I was going to be a lawyer. You know, we were learning about speech and debate. We were learning how to put together arguments. We were learning how to put together, you know, conversations that had three strong points and, and an opener and a conclusion. And this was going to lead me down my road to being a lawyer. But when my mom kicked me out and I went to go live with my dad, the school that I went to didn't have a speech and debate program. But Dan Obey, this man went to the drama teacher because Dan would do one drama event a year. He went to the drama teacher, Hogan Bramlett, who became another important person in my life. said, Hogan, this kid is gifted. He's not going to do theater. He'll do speech and debate. But you can get him to do theater if you'll sponsor speech and debate. You can get him if you'll give him what he wants. Right? That's sales one-on-one, isn't it? So she found me in the hallway, told me about the conversation, and said, if you will join our theater program, we need another male performer. I'll sponsor you in speech and debate. Brian and Nate, in the yearbook of 96 and 97, the speech and debate and the theater team, it's the same picture. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same people. But um, we, we were terrible at speech and debate, but we went on to win state. And then I went on to a national competition where I got recognized by a lot of schools, and it sent me on to performing arts scholarship. Wow. And, yeah, so 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 now I'm, I'm – this kind of comes back to what we're doing here. You, you guys have said, oh, you're, you're dynamic. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, we can learn these skills. And, and believe it or not, why, while I don't tell technicians when I'm training them that some of the things that I'm teaching them are presentation skills that I learned in performing arts, for the technicians that are listening, guys, I'm going to tell you, the bigger the show, the bigger the dough, baby. And you've got to learn how to use your energy. You've got to learn how to use your body, your voice, your language, your tone, so that when you come across something, yeah, it's no big deal to you. Of course, you're a trained professional. You've got this. But it it's probably a big deal to the average person. You know, and, and being able to present your findings in a way that, that stimulates real urgency, not scare tactics. No, I'm not talking about that crap. We don't we don't do that stuff here. We don't make stuff up. We don't scare people for the sake of scaring them. But I'm talking about, like, they got a problem they should take care of. On the plumbing side, they got pipes that are leaking. This is a big deal. But if you if you slough it off and make it out like it's not a big thing, well, you're going to do a little spot repair here, and then two months down the road, their house is going to flood. Shame on you, plumber. Shame on you. You should have done a better job of using your power to convince them, Mrs. Smith, look, I know you have a leak right now. But this is like cancer. You don't have just a little bit of cancer when you have it. This whole system is infected. I can prove that to you, Mrs. Smith. Let me show you with my diagnostic why you need a whole house pipe replacement and why this is going to prevent you from having floods down the road. That's part of what we learn. That's part of what we teach is how to bring real evidence and then bring it in such a way that it makes you go, okay, I'm listening. By the way, you pick your favorite actor. Your favorite actor can do this. They can make you feel a moment. And technicians and plumbers are not actors. You guys, I'm never asking you to be that. But what I am asking you to do is don't be so boring. Don't don't present your things as they're not a big deal when the reality of it is they are a big deal. You could save someone's home from flooding. You could save someone's house from you know being hot on a 110-degree day. Maybe they got a medical condition. 
you, if you're an electrician, you, you, you might prevent a house fire. These, these things are real. And, uh, and I just oftentimes think that we don't know how to make the homeowner feel it. Cause then we'll leave, right? Brian, we'll get on the, on the phone. We'll call our buddy and be like, man, you won't believe this. Those pipes were completely ate up. They were terrible. You, you know, they, they, they told me just to do a spot repair. You believe that? That is crazy. <laughs> As if it was their you fault. You get in the truck. Yeah, you get in the truck and you're passionate about it. When you're talking to your supervisor or your friend, you can't believe they're so dumb. And then your buddy goes, well, well what did you tell them? Well, I said, well, Mr. Smith, you got some rusty pops. I could take care of it today, but you might want to consider maybe one day eventually. Oh, and, and you're being you're being far more enthusiastic than the tech probably was, let's face it. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Because let's be honest, tech, you're scared. You're scared to ask for a lot of money. You're you're scared to present the option, and that's not your fault. That is not your fault. You haven't been conditioned to do it. Hey, I I love books about the military, guys. I love books about the military. And when when you read about the military and you read at the highest level, Matter of fact, I was speaking to my friend, uh, Ben Hubbard, who uh, on the Air Force side, he was a, a combat operant or uh, an air traffic combat controller. In essence, it's the Air Force's equivalency of a Navy SEAL. Uh, it's the Army's equivalency of a Ranger. When you talk about these guys that perform at these highest levels, they train so much. It's constant training. It's constant mission prep. It's constant planning. They're always, always, always working. They're always training. They may train and prepare for weeks for a one-hour mission that when the rubber hits the road, it hits it hard, right? And we respect those guys because of the amount of work they put into it. But I'll tell you one of the things that they'll all tell you is that no matter how much training, it's never real until that first mission. And that's the thing with, with, with plumbers. It's never real until that first mission. So oftentimes what's with plumbers, electricians, air conditioning technicians, we A, we don't get enough training, and then B, when it becomes mission critical and we go out there and we, we execute on it, there isn't necessarily someone that's right there sitting beside us, right? It's not like a SEAL team where there's six of you. You, you can't hide behind your mistakes when there's five other eyes or five other people looking at you, right? You're part of a team. But we do these things in solo operations. We can have our best successes and we can have our worst mistakes and never tell anyone about it if we're not being honest with ourselves. So oftentimes, and I know I've been here, guys, and I'm not telling you anything that I haven't lived through. I've, I've been in your shoes. Uh, and I know that we can tell ourselves lies. We can convince ourselves it's not us, it's someone else. But at the end of the day, in every position in life, we got to accept responsibility for our successes and our failures. And, and stop telling ourselves lies and just step up to the table and go, well, you know what? If I'm going to have to learn uh, a presentation skill, then I'm going to learn it because I can get to the end of my career and retire wealthy as a plumber, electrician, and HVAC tech. And yes, you can. You, you absolutely can, technicians. You should be earning six figures. Every single person listening to this, this podcast should be earning six figures or more. And you can get to the end of your career having done that, having invested having looked back and go, man, I love this career. It was awesome. It took care of me. I took care of it. Or you can get to the end of your career and say, man, my back is broken. I'm broken. I got nothing to show for it. And I'm going to tell you that is up to you. You can't put that crap on your owner. You can't put that crap on your manager. You can't put that crap 
on the, uh, the, the, the client because they got a problem. They called you. That's up to you. You're going to learn to operate or going to learn to sell. I love it, Todd. I better, uh, I better and get I can, back to you guys for a minute. I can tell we're already going to have uh, way too much content to cover in today's episode, but let's try for it anyway. So I want to go back hold to... On, hold on, let's, let's not <laughs> gloss over. What did you say? You're going to learn to... Are you going to learn to fail? Love it. Green, yeah, that's, growing, that's or brown the way it guy. is. Isn't it always the case? It's always the case. I look out. I look outside right now. Grass is green and growing. As soon as that rain stops coming, it's brown and dying. It doesn't just stand still. Mm-mm. You got to be growing, and you got to you got to be willing to put aside your ego and uh, and just try something, man. And and you're going to be scared. It's totally cool, man. Uh, you know, recognizing that that you have fear in moments when you're trying something new is totally normal. Um, just put aside the ego and go, hey, you know, this guy taught me this technique today. Um, I'm gonna give it a try. You know, I, I learned today that most people give me an objection or they give me a no the first time I ask because that's what they have been conditioned to do as buyers when it's uncomfortable. So I need to ask again. I need to find another way. That's going to be uncomfortable for me. And being uncomfortable is not about doing the wrong thing. And I think that's what a lot of times we, it goes back to that lie we tell ourselves, which is the reality of it is, is the ass is trying to do business with me or for me to get better at my skills or for me to get better at objection handling is uncomfortable. So it's a whole lot easier to say the client sucks than it is to get uncomfortable and and become better. So you got to become better. That's a great point, Todd. And one of the ways that you were talking there at the beginning was becoming better through developing your presentation. And that's the emphasis Mm -hmm. of how you're saying things, what you're saying, and the dynamic of the conversation itself. So you had mentioned that we, you don't expect plumbers, electricians, and HVAC techs to become actors. And, you know, I was going to ask you that question because despite, you know, popular belief and, and what my looks like, you know, I, I do match a lot of qualities of Tom Cruise, but not the acting piece. The short part. The short part for okay, sure. Got it. Uh, the looks mm-hmm. and, and and probably the money. Somewhat high-pitched voice. Yes. Thank you, Brian. Nasally drone. <clears throat> yes. Despite <laughs> all of those similarities, uh, I, I'm not much of an actor. And so if I'm a technician listening to this, I'm going to guess quite a few of them perhaps maybe all of them do not have a performing arts degree or any of that classical training. So if that's the place that we're going to start, how do we convince a bunch of, you know, let's just say rough and tumble fellows who are more about turning gears than they are about uh, octaves. How do we convince that it's worth expending the energy in that area to get better? Yeah, you got to know the why. And, And that's what you're talking about. And I want to talk to you about the why. And then I want to give you some how, because it's a, it's a little bit of, of, of both, okay? Um, first of all, we've all got the energy. We do, and we, we've all had the energy at, at different points in time. Every single one of us has walked on to a scene at some point in our early career that whether it was flooding or danger, whatever, we've walked into something that's made us go, oh, my gosh. Right, we had that willing up of emotion that that was like this is this is nuts. And listen, guys, I know every single one of you have seen this inside of your companies. I'm putting put yourself in your company right now. Imagine yourself sitting in your company. You're sitting there at the company meeting. The new guy's coming in, right? He's he's got a year or two experience, not as much as you. Uh, the new guy's there, and then you start to see him climb the charts. 
and you're like, man, what is this guy doing? How is he climbing the charts? He's the new guy. I've been doing this for 20 years. How is he beating all these records? And then you talk to the guy, and when he's telling you about the calls that he's on, what you realize is that he knows enough to be technically proficient, but he doesn't know necessarily more about communicating with the client than you do. It, maybe it's never even been a part of his conversation. But every job that he goes on is still exciting, it's new, and it's fresh. He's just happy to be there. So what is he doing? He's bringing energy to the table. So energy is going to attract people. And when a new guy's got that young energy, and I know all of you guys are sitting there knowing this has happened. You've seen that young guy go up the charts. Now, what happens when that young guy's four or five years down the road, all of a sudden, he's not off the charts anymore? Why? Because he never invested into communicating, never invested into learning. And when his energy fades and his skill is gone, he's back to being just like the old guy. And then here comes the new guy going up the charts again. And then we just drag him back down to our common demeanor. So, no, 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 we don't need to do that. And I don't want you guys to be an actor. You don't have to be an actor. What you have to do is you have to remember. you got to remember the first time you uh, you came across a job, how excited you were to take care of the customer. It's got nothing to do about the problem. You're just excited to take care of the customer. This is awesome. I can take care of you, Mrs. Smith. You called the right company. Look, i got everything on my truck to fix this for you right now, and it won't be a problem for you anymore. I'll fix it for you. I'll be happy to do it. That's enough. Most of the time, to make a homeowner go, great, let's do this. But we kind of kick back into this nonchalant, I've been doing this for a long time, cool attitude, and we just drop our voice down, everything comes monotone, and we put our accent in. And, and it's like, come on, man, what are you doing? Be excited. This may not be your first call, but the average homeowner only does business with a plumber, electrician, HVAC tech between every three to six years. They haven't done this in a long time. To them, it's new. It should be new to you. Now, I kind of jumped in a little bit of the um, the why there, not, not or the how, not necessarily the why. Well, this but, is but let's, let's it, go over. This, this part is definitely. Well, I mean, personally, my favorite part is this the whole presentation part. I mean, it's it's what you know. I was in a plumbing career for years as a third generation plumber before. I got to an organization, was fortunate enough to get to an organization that, that promoted selling in a, in a, you know, a professional presentation and left there and went to, went and uh, just on, on my mentor's advice, went and tried to sell timeshares in Las Vegas because he's like, if you really want to keep learning to sell, that's probably your next step because um, that's where you'll really hone some selling skills. And I remember part of the training that they gave us there, you know, this is in, in Las Vegas on the, on the Las Vegas strip and people are offered two free concert tickets or whatever to come and sit for two hours and hear about something that they don't want. And you, your job is to get them to give you 20, 30, $40,000 for a vacation package. And the number one rule to your point was your job as a, as a rep is to make sure they still feel like they're on vacation yeah, it's gotta be fun. To to perform at a level where they feel somewhat entertained, but but that they're still on vacation. So you actually have to perform in that position. It made it a lot easier to go back in a truck later and and do that. But it's a it's a difficult concept to get across to technicians who's you know they they just struggle to stop believing their only job is to get in there and fix the faucet, replace the capacitor, get the panel up and running again. Yeah. 
you know, it kind of goes back to uh, the scientific study where you break down the, the different portions of, of communication. And when you look at the different portions of communication, and I'm, I might get this a little off, but I think it's like 58 or 57% is just purely the words that we speak. Oh, l- let me scratch that. That's six, yeah, seven. It's the other way around, right? So it's like 7%, thank you, is like the words that we speak. So that'd be like the AKA, the script, or it's what you got to say as a plumber. And then when we begin to look at the other portions of it, like 85%, ends up getting wrapped up in our body language and our tone of voice. It is much more about how we say it with energy and expression than what we said. So what a lot of, what a lot of plumbers realize, and they know this, electricians and air conditioning techs as well, and it's so frustrating to them, is that no one is listening to what they're saying. Of course they're not, because it's how you're saying it. And if you want to get down to the the why you got to do this, it, it, it goes all the way back to Lee Iacocca, the guy that revolutionized Dodge, the guy that I believe was the uh, the inventor of the first Mustang, that he became the CEO of Dodge, turned them back around, made them a viable company. He said, you can be brilliant, but brilliance without the ability to communicate is going to get you nowhere. And this is the fundamental frustration, I think, of a lot of technicians is that I, I think that if you're a plumber today, if you're an electrician today, if you're an air conditioning technician, gentlemen, listen to me. Hear what I'm saying. You're brilliant. There are not a lot of people that can do what you can do. You have high-level skills. You have earned the right to call yourself an electrician, a plumber, an air conditioning technician. Be proud of that. Now, make sure that people understand your brilliance. You know, one of the things that, that we see, and, and guys, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we're a company of 16, and we do over 10,000 one-on-one training sessions a year. That's not an exaggeration. That is a fact. And when we're working with, you know, plumbers, electricians, whatnot, and we're going over language, some of the things that we have to help them with is that when they're presenting options, they'll say things like, uh, well, you know, Mrs. Smith, uh, if we take a look at this, uh, we could fix it. Uh, if you want to do it right now, we could do it, but we could do it later. And then when they come out of the role play, we're like, we could do it later. R- remind me what this repair is. Would you tell me what it is? Oh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, 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 it's a pipe that's leaking. Where is it leaking? It's leaking at the floorboard. We could do it later. Later. We, yeah, we could do it at any time. Really? I'm like, but, Come on. The way you're presenting that is you're saying to the homeowner, it's not a big deal. You're saying it's not a big It's leaking. It's a big deal. It's going to damage their home. Well, I don't want to scare them. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want my kids to, to, to take up, you know, drugs and bad habits either. And if I got to put a little bit of fear in them to make sure they don't do the, the wrong thing, I'll do that. So there is a fundamental difference. I told you earlier, I said, we don't do scare tactics, and we don't. But oftentimes I think people confuse what a scare tactic is. To me, a scare tactic is when you intentionally lie or mislead with false information. That's a scare tactic. That's a con artist. You should quit this work and, and, and stop being a technician, a plumber, electrician, because 
you're not an honest ethical person. That's that that to me is a scare tactic. We don't do that. But if we say to someone, if I'm a doctor and I say to someone, "Hey, look, Brian, you got to quit smoking. This is bad. You have emphysema. You have spots on your lungs. You are just." A matter of time away from cancer. If you don't quit this, you're going to die. And where's that going to leave you and your family? Versus, you know, Brian, it'd be a good idea if you quit smoking, but you can do whatever you want to do. You know, just in time, you can quit if you want to. I want the doctor that's going to kick me in my butt. I want the doctor that's going to put up a slide of someone that's got lung cancer. I want a doctor that's showing me the, the bad problems with this because I want a doctor that is good enough to convince me that I need to quit doing these things that are going to kill me and leave my family without a father. I want that doctor. I want that plumber too. I want a plumber that is good enough that he's going to convince me that this belly that's in this pipe is going to be more headache when it backs up into my bathroom than it is to have you get paid the money now to fix it. I want that plumber. Absolutely, because that is the one that is going to cause the least amount of frustration later on in your future, and that's exactly why you're saying it. But it's it's also about how you're saying it, which is, I think, the emphasis you're trying to make there. So what are some of the tactics that you would suggest to our audience to improve their ability to present well? Like, perhaps maybe they know, hey, man, I'm monotone man. Like, that's just who I am. Like, how am I supposed to break out of that? Or, or maybe they don't know. Maybe they're more... Um, ignorant to the fact that their presentation, their dynamic nature, yep. the, the the vocal emphasis, and all that's a little uh, lackluster. So, what would be some some tips or some like even awareness items that you could bring to their attention to say, "Hey, this is something you need to pay attention to, and this is how you could work to fix it." Yeah, you know, it's really hard when you when you uh, when you can't hear yourself, and it's really hard when no one's brought these things to your attention. And you can't be both all the time. You can't be monotone all the time, nor can you be high dynamic all the time, because either one eventually is monotone. It's heard the same way. you got to mix it up. So here's a tip, and it's a really easy one. Every single one of you guys can do this, but remember, you got to get comfortable. The tip is you can sit down, and you can write out a sentence or two that you might present to the homeowner. You write out a sentence or two, and then you... Sit with one of your, you know, friends. And by the way, this this is also a byproduct of successful companies. When they have people, this is a, this is a litmus test, you know, Brian and Nate. When you're at a company where you can sit around with your peers and you go, okay, hey guys, we're going to practice this, and they're like, all right, man, let's do it. Versus, okay, guys, we're going to practice this, and they all look at you like you are smoking crack. That is a litmus test. You you give me a company where embracing practice and training is part of the culture, I guarantee you they're successful. You give me a company where making fun of people that train and work on their performance like this, and I guarantee you they're struggling. The best companies embrace training and education, and they realize at first it's uncomfortable, but they, they, they cheer each other on through it. So here's the test. You say, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this a go, and uh, and I want you to tell me if it's dynamic and you put a recorder in front of you, you use your iPhone. You read the sentence, and you record it. And at the end of it, you hit in, and you look at your buddy and go, hey, man, what do you think? Was that pretty dynamic? And your buddy's going to say, yeah, yeah, no, or yes, it is. 
but let's go ahead and let's listen to the recording. And then you listen to the recording and you realize how much energy you left off the table. And you go, okay, l- let's do it again. Let's pump it up this time. And you do it again. And then at some point, someone's going to go, and this is a training technique that we do. You go, hey, look, I just want you to go as crazy and as wild as you possibly can. Just go, go nuts with it, man. Give it all the energy on the planet. And you record it. And then you play it back and you listen to it. And guys, because technicians, like if I gave you my crazy energy, it'd be stupid crazy. But because technicians aren't doing this all the time, oftentimes when they think they're pushing the boundary, like that's it, that's, that energy's nuts level. And then you replay it, it's exactly what it needs to be. It sounds perfect. It's sane, it's calm, but it's got punch to it. And they hear themselves and they go, man, is that what that sounded like? Because that's not what it felt like. What did it feel like? It felt like I was screaming at someone, like I was going mad. But when I listen to it, it sounds great. And so, so this is the thing, man, is that you can't hear yourself in your own voice. If you're just talking out loud, you can't. you got to replay it and hear yourself so that you can go, oh, I see what's going on here. And when, when you do that often enough, you will readjust your levels. I'm going to talk weightlifting for a moment because this is part of my life. You Finally. guys want to know part of my life, a big part time. of my life wait. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me talk about weightlifting. <laughs> What's now. taking us so long? For is that all right? <laughs> That's fine. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So wh- one of the things that I've learned after years and years and years of weightlifting is that I can't listen to my body in terms of how I feel that thing. Now I'm not talking like if, if I got a little ache here and there, you got to listen to your body for that. I'm talking about like there's some days I go into the gym and if I just did like a little, you know, okay, I'm going to do a check here. Uh, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the energy level. I'm not feeling motivated. I don't feel quote unquote strong. And, uh, and I've been doing this long enough to know, to know that I can't listen to that. Uh, sometimes I go into the gym and I'm feeling like super strong, right, man? I'm like, Ooh, this feels great today. I pumped up. I got all the right, you know, mechanisms. It's no different than going into work one morning and one morning I'm not feeling it and another morning I am feeling it. What I have to do is I have to take however that feeling is and, and log it and go, okay, this is part of what we call being prepared. That's my mental preparation. It is whatever it is before I take control of it. Then I have to go over to my goal board, and every single one of you guys should have goals. And I go over to my goal board after I see my plan. Okay, hey, today's, for, today's bench press, right? So yesterday, yesterday was football variable bench press for three, eight sets for three. So I'm like, all right, how am I feeling? Honestly, I felt good yesterday. I felt pretty great. So I go over to my board. I look at my goal. What is the most I've ever benched? Without modification, it's 277.45, all right? Uh, when I say modification, I mean putting change, putting bands, mixing it up a little bit. So with modification, uh, 315 for three, but that's with bands, which means they load and they unload. So I know I need to be somewhere between 277 and I need to be somewhere between 277 and 315. This is pure weight. So I said, all right, by rep number seven, I'm going to go for 300. And guys, I'm telling you, I'm feeling, I'm feeling strong the whole way through, right? So I get on rep 300 uh, or, or set 300 and I, and I put it up one time and I go to put it up the second time and I, di- I didn't have it. <laughs> I missed. So I, I missed this one. 
But there's did, been other times when I've gone in or, and I. I'm guessing you're alone. No, I got right? safe. I got safety bars. I okay. got safety bars. Not a Smith machine. So, so no, I, and I was I was fully sucked too. I was like, okay, I'm gonna just rest here for a second. I'm gonna get it. No, no, no I was fully sucked. I had to squeeze out from underneath it. Pop up. <laughs> <Been there, laughs> Nate was there with yeah, the but, bar but yesterday. Forty-five. <laughs> I felt strong yesterday, man. I felt strong yesterday. I thought for sure I was gonna have it. Uh, and then there's been days when I've gone in and I felt weak, and those are the days I hit my PR. But whether I feel strong or whether I feel weak, I always say to myself, today's going to be a good day, and I make my daily plan when it comes to weightlifting, when it comes to business. I write down my goals, and I go for it. And sometimes I get it, and sometimes I exceed it, and sometimes I get stuck under the bar. But I'm going to tell you, a day when you do 300 on a football bar press, which is not a straight bench press, that's a football bar press, it's a different angle. When you, when you do 300 for one, that's still a pretty daggum good day. So, you know, that's like going, hey, I really wanted to have a $5,000 a day. That was my goal. I, I did $4,800 a day. That's a pretty decadent good day. So this is what I've learned when it comes to weightlifting and when it comes to what we do is that we got to have historical evidence. We got to know what we've done in the past. We got to know what we want to do in the future. We got to have that evidence. And then we've got to go every single day with a plan. And then we have to say to ourselves, hey, you know, how we feel in the morning is, uh, is just that. It's just how you feel. That's how you wake up. That's your default position. If you wake up default in a great mood, great. If you wake up default in a bad mood, you know, then fix it. But when we look at this in terms of press play, press play is our training concept. Uh, and, and technicians, I'm going to tell you, inside of press play, there's only like four things, sometimes maybe five things that are part of the conversation with the homeowner. But there's nine principal steps of what a great day is going to look like for you on a service call. Here's number one, you got to get prepared. You got to get prepared. So however you wake up, before you go to work, you got to fix your mind. You've got to make your plan. You've got to set your goals. You got to be prepared. Number two, now that you're prepared, guess well, let's, what? Time let's to, not let's not gloss too quickly over that part because that is that is probably the of, of the rules you're about to speak. I assume that's the har- the hardest one to remember and do every day because there is going to be that morning when you argue with your wife on the way out the door, and it sets the tone. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it can. I I think uh I think it is hard in the beginning. And it's, it's good for us to remember where everybody's at in their stages of life, isn't it? Because um, it is hard in the beginning. I'm, I'm 43 years of age now. It's become easier because it's become a daily habit. But w- wherever you are, you need to be there. You, you guys have heard that term, and that is so fundamentally true. You, you need to be there. And, and this is the way I look at it, right? Like, if you had an argument with your wife, I'm sorry. I hope you guys make that up. But if you choose to, to leave the house, or if you have to, maybe you didn't even choose it, you got to go to work, you're going to get fired. Well, if you got to go to work and do your job or you're going to get fired, well, then go to work and do the job that they are paying you to do, which means be pleasant, be happy, do a great job. Don't go to work and really be in that fight the whole time. You know, the, you left the fight, but the fight hasn't left you. You're still fighting with your wife for the next eight hours until you get home. All you've been doing is preparing for your fight all day long. We got to let that go. And I know that's harder, and I know that's easier said than done. But I'm, I'm telling you, men and women, you got to get to the point where you like to turn that switch off and go, okay, I'm out of this house now. I got to breathe. 
you find whatever works for you that is moral and ethical, pull over, meditate, clear your mind, but flip that switch and say, now I'm here on this. Hey, you know what? Maybe the fight was about money. As you guys know, almost all the divorces in America is over money. That's a fact. Uh, a lot of those are speared by medical expenses. That's also a fact. The number one cause for medical expenses in the United States is heart disease followed by diabetes. Those are also facts. How we treat our body and our mind causes those number one things. So maybe your fight was about money because you had a medical bill because your health is bad. That sucks. Fix it. It's your life. Start by going out there and getting your mind right and saying, okay, you know what? This is my opportunity. This is my day. I'm going to correct this. I'm going to do everything in my power because when I go see this client, this client doesn't know all the stuff that's going on. And this client's probably got her own crap going on. I'm going to go in here and make this client have a great day. I'm going to go resolve their problems. I'm going to be professional. I'm going to find a way to bond with them. I'm not going to be thinking about, you know, the problems that I have at home. I'm not going to be thinking about my medical bills because I'm thinking about my medical bills. The client's going to sense that. She's going to think I'm just trying to get her money to pay my medical bills. No, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to find the problem that the client has. It's going to be all about this client. Because, guys, what I'll tell you is that if you get focused on the money while you're in the home, that's bad. If you stay focused on just doing what's in that client's best interest, and what's in that client's best interest is an amazing diagnostic where you go above and beyond. All the money you're going to need is going to be there. By the way, I've never, I've never appreciated plumbers, electricians, or HVAC techs that complain about their average ticket. And I show, I say, let me see your whole house inspection. Well, I didn't do that. They only called me out there for the faucet. Well, did you at least get that? But why didn't you look under the cabinet sink? It isn't isn't that faucet connected to things under the sink? Is there garbage disposal under there? What shape was that in? Are there connection lines? Are they corroded? They are. Did you check the water? What kind of hardness are we talking about? Where that's where's that corrosion coming from? Where's that line coming from? Did you check the hard? You didn't check the hardness. Well, did you look to see if there's any other that corrosion forming in the underneath the sinks in the uh, in the other bathrooms in the house? Did you do that? You didn't do that. Well, did you at least check the incoming pressure? out there at the first connection by the, you didn't do that. Do they have a PRV? You don't know. Well, good gravy. Did you find the clean out it? They didn't have a clean out. What? So, oh, so you're complaining about your average tickets, but what you're telling me is you didn't look at anything. Did you even go to the home for oh, crying man. out loud? Did you even show up? Yeah. <laughs> man, I want to tell you like, uh, you know, Steve, Steve's plumbing, Steve Egner, we've been training those guys for like nine years. They do an average of, uh, I think it's 1.4 calls a day right now at about a $1,400 average ticket. And they have five-star reviews like crazy. Why? Because they do whole house inspections. They do whole house inspections. Now, you may be going, what? That much average ticket? They're only doing that many calls a day? Clients must hate them. Mm, hang on a second. Well, well, wait a minute. They're doing all the findings that they find that are there while the plumber is there. I don't know about you guys, but I'd rather spend fourteen hundred, two thousand dollars with you today than have you come back three months from now, three months from now, three months from now, three months from now. Why didn't you find this stuff the first time that you were here? I don't I don't care about your three hundred dollar average ticket. What I care about is fix all of my problems. Time is too valuable. I gotta go to work. You're costing me money. You would make my life easier if you gave me a total punch list. Maybe I don't say yes to all of it. 
Maybe I say half to all of it. But I have a choice now, and I can pick what I want. And if I got to call you back because I was dumb, then that's on me. But I'm going to call you back, and I'm not going to be mad at you about it. That's, I'm just spitting fire here, guys. I, I can't help it. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. There's so much that goes into the be prepared step. <laughs> and that is, that is so good. Okay, so we've got our mind in the right place. We're, we're finally, you know, we've left the stuff at home, at home. We're considering like, all right, there's there's actually work to be done here, and I am ready to go do it. I am prepared. Now what? Yeah. Okay, so now uh, we're going to build a relationship with the client. Press play, PR. We're going to build a relationship with the client. We're going to get to know this client. We're going to get to understand this client. We're going to use some tools and techniques that we teach, such as understanding personality profiles, the, the concept of DISC, using observation. That's a whole deep dive that we teach in our press play program. But uh, we're going to build this relationship. When we have a appropriate relationship that is professional with a little bit of personal mixed in, we're then going to transition into what we refer to as the evaluation of the client's known needs. Uh, what that means in essence is that your client knows what their problem is that they're having currently. They also know about problems that they've had in the past and they can help you in the diagnostic. So we're going to take a few moments and we're going to ask evaluating questions, which is about situational awareness and observations. All right. So in the relationship building, we're talking to the client. In the evaluation of questions, we're talking to the client. We're going to teach you a process to do that. The S that comes next is settling the client's fear. And when we talk about settling the client's fear, we know that the client has questions about your ability and your company's ability or reputation to do the work, also sometimes known as credibility. We know they have questions about that. We know that they have questions about what this process is going to look like. We like to refer to that as the agenda. What are the steps? What should they expect? And we know that they have questions about price, which is how will they be billed? How will they pay for their services? What should they expect will be done automatically? What will be presented as options? This is about talking about how you present with a flat rate system or whatever system it is that you present with. Um, so, so far, we have prepared. We have built a relationship. We've evaluated the client's needs from their standpoint, taking time just to talk to them, asking questions. Now we do our first, if you will, soft presentation. We are presenting uh, or settling their fears, if you will, what to expect. After settling fears, guess what? We're going to get permission to do our diagnostic. I recommend that we get that in writing. We get a strong confirmation that we're going to do it. I also recommend that as part of the diagnostic, you explain whole house inspections and why. And then we do the system. And I use the word system because to me, on the plumbing, electrical, air conditioning, roofing side, this is a system. Every component is connected. I don't want you to think about it in terms of parts and pieces. Start thinking about it as a system. How does this whole thing work together, just like the human body? We're going to do a system diagnostic. And in that system diagnostic, chances are your client's probably not with you. They may come occasionally, but they're probably not with you. This is about going through a very detailed checklist that you're going to use to make sure that you catch anything that's wrong and that you don't miss anything. That's press. Now, the play part stands for the following. It stands for present, prescription, labor, do the labor, and before you leave, add value so that you secure your future. So we come back to the presentation part. When we do this, guess what we're doing? 
We're showing them our findings. We're proving it. We're proving it with diagnostic sheets. We're proving it with videos. We're proving it by saying, hey, Mrs. Smith, come look and see what I see on this green camera. We're doing all of these things. We're proving it. We're spending time with them. We're building the need. We're proving the fact. We're getting yeses. They want that done. We're also presenting the prices, right? So if we do our presentation well, then we get to do the labor. And when we do the labor, we should do that with our utmost professionalism. At the end of labor, that's where most people would say, thank you, goodbye, I'll see you later. So that'd be press pop. Uh, press, 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 I don't know how you say that, <laughs> but we're going to add value. So what's that value? We always recommend that before you leave, there's always a little something that can be done, especially when you've done a whole house inspection and you've got a good average ticket. There's always a little something extra that you can do that's going to make that presentation memorable, whether that is zero cost items where you just do an act of service for them, take out their trash, you know, change the light bulb that was, was that, you know, these are zero cost items that are very quick and efficient for you to do. Maybe they are minor cost items that you have a co- as a company have discussed that you can provide at certain levels. You can actually make a plan out of this, you know, so where the client doesn't know it, but when they do a thousand dollars worth of service, maybe you provide them some form of upgrade, some minor thing that, doesn't cost you a whole lot on the moment, um, but is legitimately valuable. And then before you leave, you come back and say, hey, you know, Mrs. Smith, I wanted to share with you. I got your complete checklist done. We're so happy to serve you here. And while I was doing the work, I noticed this thing, whatever this thing is. Now, normally that would be like another $159 charge, but you were just such a great client today. And I got permission from the office. They said this was okay. We went ahead and took care of that for you because we just want to show you that we appreciate you. You showed on the invoice, you put zero by it. Guys are going to love you. Now, you got to make sure that this is something that your company's planned and that you're not giving away stuff up there every single time just to do it. But you can give gifts at certain levels that are just appropriate. And then the last part is your future. Your future is about coming back. And the way you come back is, first of all, you got to leave that place better than found it, which means you got to, you know, drop tarps the whole nine yards clean, do all those things to make it beautiful, right? You leave stickers, basic things. Let's let's sticker the water heaters. Let's go over how these shutoff stickers work. We seek for club memberships. We seek for referrals. We ask for five-star reviews. We, we do the things and we ask for the things that are going to get us to come back in the future. Now, if we do that, that's a nine-step service call. We're only, like I said, you know, there's only like four or five parts of that where you're really having these deep conversations. Most of it's just what we naturally think about. The, the two things that we might not be doing naturally, but now that you're aware of it, I bet you're going to start doing is adding value so that you secure your future. So that's press play in a nutshell, guys. And I can tell you the way that we train it is we start from principles. We go principles and principles lead the systems and systems lead the scripts. We don't go scripts first. Because I told you guys, you don't have to be actors, and I don't think you have to be. What other training systems will have you do is memorize these word-for-word scripts. Now, we will give you a script and say, here's an example. But the difference in what we do fundamentally at the core of service excellence is that we start at the top. We go with the principle, the why. Why are we preparing? Why are we building a relationship? 
why are we evaluating what the client needs? And what we have found is that if you understand that and you focus on why you're doing what you're doing, guess what, guys? You're going to adopt, embrace, and come up with your own scripts. And even between the principle and the script, as I told you, there's systems. Where we talked about whole house inspections, if we go back to that and say, hey, you know, the why we're doing that is because we're trying to prevent future headaches for this homeowner. This is not about boosting our average ticket. That's a byproduct of why we're doing it. We're trying to save this homeowner headache time and prevent, you know, them having to go through pain and suffering that they wouldn't have to go through. So if that's why we're doing it, guess what we're going to do? We're going to create a, a checklist that becomes part of our system to make sure that we live up to our promise. And then now guess what happens? Now we come up with words that we're going to use, a.k.a. scripting, that just explains our why and our checklist. And when you look at training from that perspective, that's about doing and that's about purpose. It's not about memorization. And that's how we teach, by the way. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you an example, but we want you to know that that example is a byproduct of the principle and it's a byproduct of the system. It's not the other way around. Fantastic information there, Todd. And I really appreciate the way that you laid all of that out. Do us a favor and run through that press play system one more time for us uh, in the quick version. You bet. Prepare your mind. Build your relationship with your client. Evaluate their needs and wants through questions. Settle their fears. Perform a great system diagnostic. Present the prescription. Do the labor. Add value so that your future is secure. Excellent. Uh, fantastic. I, I'm a big fan of acronyms and just like giving yourself the easy step-by-step -step memory to make sure that you stay on process in a call. Now, as you've been training on these types of things, Todd, you know, it, and I'm sure you, you said you've done, I believe 10,000, you're doing 10,000 trainings. A year. Your team is doing 10,000 trainings a year mm -hmm. or more out of those nine steps there. Where do you see the most people stumbling? System diagnostic. <laughs> Right. You, you probably don't think that's the case, right? You're probably thinking it's going to be somewhere caught up in the, uh, in the verbiage. But honestly, it's system diagnostic. And I, I think it's less about stumbling. I think it's more about um, sometimes it's about inspection. There, there isn't a good service manager inspecting what's expected. Um, sometimes it's, uh, it's about too many service calls. Um, you're loaded up with six or eight and it's very difficult to do an amazing diagnostic when you have six or eight service calls on the board. Uh, sometimes it's about the transition of learning how to do this well and realizing that when a, when a person learns to do this well, they're going to need fewer calls and they're going to bring in much higher average tickets. Uh, but before that happens, their ticket may be the same while they do fewer because they've got to learn this process. But frankly, it's the system diagnostic. It's the failure to really do whole house inspections from top to bottom because let, let's be frank, that looks like sometimes an hour, sometimes more of pure investigation work that if not set up properly, service managers don't understand it, and then they put pressure on technicians to rush through it. And if not understand why the technicians should do it, they don't explain it well to the homeowner. So they feel the pressure just to address the one thing that's there and nothing else. So it's system diagnostic every time is where people get stuck.
I mean, isn't that ironic? Which isn't even language. Like, right, because you're talking to HVAC techs, plumbers, and electricians. This is supposed to be the piece that is, you know, the the by nature of the job, the system diagnosis. And and yet that's where you're seeing the, let's just say, underdeveloped utilization of that part of the process. Because it's easy to get that tunnel vision. And Brian talks about that all the time, where you put on the blinders and you walk straight through the house, wherever the pipe is leaking, wherever the switch is is not working wherever the capacitor is failing and that's all you focus on and you just you block everything else out and it's such a miss that's it man it's like hey i walked out to the condenser i, I, I popped the, off the panel and there it is there's a contactor it's right oh cool you know uh we we increased our prices so i'm gonna get 457 with this uh and i'm out but like, whoa did you check that run cap did you check those refrigeration pressures did you go upstairs and, uh, and, and do a check uh, in the attic on where the air conditioner is located? Did you look at the duct runs? Are they sealed? Oh, man. I got, you know, so many calls. To the, uh, so, but, again, it might, it might not be the technician's fault. Sometimes you're right. They just totally get blinders on. But this has to be a cultural thing. This has to be a service manager that embraces the fact that, you know, even when we're busy – if we're going to do this and do this right, then we have to provide a certain amount of system inspection. And by the way, there are ways that you can make certain executive decisions on it. And, and I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by that. If we went to a house and the install in the house was under five years of age, we didn't force the guys to pull the blower wheel and do heat exchanger inspections on those systems. And we, that was something that we had to get to a point of making that decision. And I, I'm not saying that that was the right decision, but what I can tell you is that the evidence suggested that if it were a new home, new everything that wasn't a replacement system, you know, second replacement, and it was under five years of age, that more than likely as long as we're still, you know, looking at settings on the on the heat exchanger and whatnot, that that heat exchanger probably wasn't going to be ruptured. And I'm not telling you that was the perfect decision that we made. Maybe we made a mistake by doing it. But what I can tell you is that when we drew that line in the sand and we shifted it to, okay, inspect everything six years and above, what we allowed was the bandwidth for dispatch and we allowed the bandwidth for the technicians and we gained some understanding when we anticipated that level of inspection. Because we were pretty, we, by the way, we still had to inspect the ducts, all right, so we had to, to do that. But we had a pretty high demand uh, approach to service. Like right down to how we clean condensing systems, no condensing system could be cleaned from the outside in. To me, that's just driving the dirt deeper. They all had to be fan removed. They all had to be cleaned from the inside out. You've got to give technicians time to do that level of work. So, yes, you're right. Sometimes it's the technician uh, just just putting their blinders on, it, especially when they've already got the panel open, they can look at the capacitor. But but I'm going to tell you, I think it's just as often a, a guilt product of the culture. So technicians, if you're listening to me, hey, man, you know when, when you're not doing what you're supposed to do. I hear you. Uh, do it, okay? When it's you, you own that and you do it. But I also understand when you are put under severe pressure by your service manager, and they're just saying, go, 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 go. So you send this message to your service manager. Now, service manager, listen to me. You can't always have your cake and eat it too. 
you're going to have to let these guys do the work that you demand, or you're going to have to come up with some rules, like what we did. And there are ways that you can come up with certain rules and certain scenarios where you say, uh, when the system is in this condition, maybe these steps you don't have to do. Uh, but when it's in this condition or in this age, you need to do these steps. And by the way, I think that's appropriate. I think the medical community has learned that we don't need a colonoscopy inspection on every single person that comes to the door, right? Uh, 45, <laughs> unless you've got a history of it in your family, 40. Right. So I, I don't think that's bad service. I think that's about systemizing your process again and creating clarity on when you do it and when you don't do it. Great stuff there, Todd. And and as we're uh, we're starting to bring things in for a landing here, and I wanted to kind of focus back on what you are doing currently, right? So, at the beginning of the at the top of the show, there we kind of left off with you starting uh, your your HVAC business, your own home services business. How did you make the transition from there into the coaching, or are you still doing that? No, okay. Um, so I have been in the coaching world for a long time. Um, when I was 25 or so, around that age, I went to go work with, uh, with Clockwork Home Services, uh, which if you don't know that name now, back before they had sold into multiple multiple divisions, the Success Group International, the Airtime 500, uh, the One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning, the Benjamin Franklin, the Success Academy, all those guys were all conglomerated in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, they found out about me through some channels and recruited me up there. And I went up there to become a trainer and within a year I was the director of training. So I had the opportunity at a, at a really young age to train uh, lots of wonderful people. I learned a lot. I gained a lot of experience. It's blessed me my whole life. I left probably at 28 or so uh, to move down to Texas. We wanted to start a family and uh, the best place to do that was here in Austin, Texas, um, we, we had lost a child in, in St. Louis, premature, not premature, baby born, but like a miscarriage. And it, it just really impacted on us. And we're like, well, we, we want to move to Austin with family that. So I came down here as a 15% partner in a business. And I had a three-year non-compete. I uh, served out that three-year non-compete and sold off my minority shares to my partner. And then I was considering, you know, what to do next. I was contemplating training obviously as my own entity but I went I interviewed back with the old company and and I decided after a lot of prayer that I wanted to do this and actually the answer to my prayer in those first early years came in many forms but um, I was driving from Florida to the interview back to Texas I was going to stop in Mississippi to see my uh, to see my family and and my first client which was uh, Jimmy Hiller, of Hiller Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling out in Tennessee, called me and had a project for training development. I was like, well, I, I guess this is the answer to if I become a trainer because I had my first client before I had a company. So I, I created the company, and, uh, and Service Excellence has been in business now. Uh, it's basically the age of my daughter, so it's 11. Uh, in January, it'll be 12 years. And gentlemen, for the first probably five or six years, I just wanted to be a solopreneur company. All I wanted to do was train a few companies, do a little bit of traveling. And our reputation just, just started growing, man. So uh, now we've got a sizable team, and, and, and we're still growing. And, and our focus hasn't changed, though. Our, our focus is to give power and hope to the residential trades through training that is proven and it's ethical and it's principle-based. Uh because we want to create radical transformation in the lives of people. We have, 
had clients that have gone from literally about to shut their doors down. I'm thinking of Jack Arnold. who's going to go pump gas at Chicago O'Hare Airport and just quit his business. This guy was making no money. Now he's a multimillionaire in Chicago running an electrical company. That's turned around in about five years for him where this guy is going to retire, you know, independently wealthy. I had one technician that came up that we, uh, we, uh, we call grandpa because he's got this long beard and it was a second class. And in the second class, because he came he, about a year and a half later, he came back, he came up to me and he was crying. And I'm going, Grandpa, what's going on? He goes, man, I want to tell you, I was in debt. I, I didn't see a future for myself. And since this program, I've turned things around. My wife and I have bought a house. We've adopted our grandson. We are, our life has changed. So when we talk about radical transformation, that's, that's what we're talking about. And I know that I was hitting some of you listeners between the eyes, but let me tell you, man, it's because I love you. I, I told you I grew up in the trade. I, I grew up in South Mississippi. I grew up around people that were poor, people that didn't believe in themselves, people that weren't living up to their potential. And and I know that to get to you sometime, you got to hear it. you got to get it between the eyes. So if that's what it takes to give you hope, if that's what it takes to give you power, if that's what it takes to make you have a life that can be radically transformed, then we're going to do that. And and if we're not doing that, we're not radically transforming your life, then we got to get better because that's what we want to do. We want to take you from being broke. We want to take you from being in debt. We want to take you from being frustrated. We want to get you up to where you should be. We want to get you on that six-figure income area and beyond. If you're an owner, we want you to be millionaires, right? If, if you're sitting out here as a plumber, man, you need to be making $150,000, $200,000 a year. And that's not going to happen because someone's going to give you a pay raise. That's going to happen because you gave yourself a pay raise because you learned how to do this trade. And and that's what we want to do, man. We want to help guys get there. Absolutely. And I, I my thoughts are drawn back to your earlier story, um, which you sounds like you had a pretty rough upbringing with a, a stepfather and um, you know getting kicked out of your house and getting wrapped up in some wrong things there. And I'm not sure that that background is that abnormal in the trades. And so I, I want to kind of no. leave you with this here, this thought that you could speak into. But if, if I'm the type of technician who's coming from that similar background, you know, my family life was rough. My, my upbringing was rough. My youth I spent in making poor decisions and things like that. And I'm trying to recover from all those things now. How do, how do I get the same success that you did? You know, is, is that a mindset shift or did somebody speak into your life and the light bulb finally went off or, are you a self-made man or what happened? Yeah, no, no one is self-made. No, no one is self-made. By the way, we did a, we did a pretty big survey of our clients and uh, we asked the question, how many of you guys uh, came from a broken home? 75 plus percent. Wow. I think that's pretty common. I think most of us come from broken homes, come from abuse, come from, you know, divorces, whatnot. And a lot of times we repeat those patterns, right? It just, it, it, it happens. Um, so I very well could have gotten into that trap. As I told you guys, my mom kicked me out of my house, and that kind of made me see things differently. But this is what I want to tell you, and, and, and this is something that, that you need to hear because you might not be able to believe this, but, uh, but it's true. So first of all, let me tell you that when I started this, it was no, no better roses. I had a little bit of money left over. Um, from selling what little bit I had of, of my business relationship, my 50% wasn't worth much. I had a little bit of money, not a lot. I was going to start this over. 
And then I got sued. Um, Clockwork, the people that I worked for, sued me. And by the way, you can look that up on the internet, right? So I'm not saying anything there that isn't true. Uh, they sued me for whatever reasons they wanted to sue me for. They were at the time owned by Direct Energy. We're talking a multi-billion dollar business. Suing a guy that's trying to launch something. At that same time, guys, listen to this. My daughter had been resuscitated in the hospital. Uh, they didn't know if she was going to make it. Um, and I'm sitting here going, you know, what am I going to do, right? So I literally sit in my driveway and I, I send up a prayer and I say, hey, God, if I'm supposed to do this thing, then I'm going to go in here and ask my wife if we're going to fight this. And if we're going to fight this, uh, it might mean selling the house. It might mean going to sell with the, you know, going to live with the in-laws. I need to know that she supports it. So I said my prayer, I walked in, I said, I said, Shannon, do you, do you think that service excellence is what we're supposed to do? And my wife said, yes, I do. When you do training, we are blessed. I think this is what God wants us to do. I said, even if that means selling the house, maybe losing, maybe living with your mom and dad, she's like, yeah, let's do it. Okay, I tell you that story because once I got committed into the mindset that, that, that I was going to fight, but then also, very importantly, this is a weird concept. It's hard to explain without a much longer podcast. But not only did I get set in the mindset that I was going to fight to keep my business, but that I was going to do everything in my power to do no harm, the clockwork in the process, weird concept. Then that change in my mind, which said, hey, I'm going to defend myself, but I'm not going to hurt you in the process to the best of my ability. It, it gave me new focus. And, and clarity in life. And by the way, I can tell you, it, it also worked. It took a lot of years of mended relationships, but Success Academy is a client of mine now. They've had me on their stage. Wow. I've had a chance to have my homecoming and teach there again. We, we do training services. We help their business franchise consultants with disc profiling. We provide, we provide access material to them. So that relationship was mended. The, the worst type of relationship you could imagine, they were suing me. They wanted to shut me down. Yeah. And I chose to fight it, but not do them harm as I fought it. We settled a mutual satisfaction. That's what we agreed to call it, and that's what I'm going to keep calling it. That's what's on the documentation. But we're we're good today. So if you're in the middle of your worst period of time right now, what I want to tell you is that when you get committed to making a life change, you might be addicted to something. You might be in so much debt you can't imagine getting out of it. It might be terrible. First of all, it will not change overnight. Anyone that tells you that it will be better overnight is lying. But what can be better overnight is your perception and your plan. If you go to hustle, you can have more seven years from now than you ever imagined in your life. Why seven years? I'm not sure. I don't know why it takes seven years sometimes to totally change our life around and be totally amazing different individuals. But what I know is that seems to be the number. It seems to be the number historically. It seems to be the number biblically. It just seems to be the number that when a person says, okay, my life's going to be different, they can go from having nothing to being millionaires in seven years once they get their act together. Scratch the millionaire if that's not important to you. They can go from a destructive family, one where it's ridden by abuse and addiction, and they can be whole and they can be healed in seven years. So we, we've never told anyone here at Service Excellence that radical transformation is easy. We've never told anyone here at Service Excellence that it's like getting on a rocket ship and lighting the, the, the fuse because it's usually not. It's usually hard, crazy work for the first couple of years. And then for some reason, 
consistency, mindset, whatever, after about that second or third year of you living your life different, the world quits judging you on your past, and they start going, man, that guy's impressive. He's a different person. And then the next four years are years of harvest. And then you can keep that going for the rest of your life. So wherever you're at right now, I can guarantee you that if you make a decision to change, it will be hard as hell. It will be hard. But when you really commit, and I mean really commit, like this is it. I'm changing right now. Seven years from now, you are fundamentally a different person, period. The signs of your smoking is probably gone. The sign of your addiction is gone. The sign of your bad attitude is gone. You're a different person seven years from now. But it takes time, and it takes commitment, and it takes the willingness to do it. I love the encouragement and the hope that you speak there, Todd. That That is good stuff. And, of course, we agree with you wholeheartedly about making those shifts and attempting to pursue the better version of yourself I got to ask you for our audience, if people are interested in learning more about your company, Service Excellence, the training that you provide and all of the things, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, uh, I'm everywhere, man. So serveextra.com, uh, toddliles.com, which will redirect you to my about page at Serve Extra. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're, we're out there. So yeah, if you just type in Service Excellence Training, Serve Extra, Todd Lyles, you'll find us. Uh, our phone number, though, is 512-333-4133. Uh, I'm Todd at ServeExtra.com. Reach out, and uh, what we'll do is we'll talk to you. If you if you just want to, to talk to me, uh, just call me. I'll, I'll visit with you. If you're interested in what we can do for you and your people, uh, and you want to talk to someone about being a client, so reach out to me. I'll connect you with one of our coaches. Uh, we let our actual coaches take you through the sales process we uh we like that approach we like you speaking with someone that does it every single day not just a salesperson so you can really get to understand uh what the expectation is so yeah any of those channels are, are fine we'd love to talk to you and uh, for clarity what all types of training do you offer is this strictly technicians or strictly owners or all the above yeah so our approach is is the following when we work with a company we're going to build a strategy out for them at minimum three years. We, we want to build you out a three-year plan that goes right down to the daily things you got to do from a budgetary standpoint. It ties in your vision, your mission, your purpose, where you can help you get clarity on your core values. All of these heart things that you hear pouring out of me, we're going to have you define that in your company so that you can start pouring that into your people. Once we have your strategic plan, then what we're going to do is we're going to begin to make sure that we're building up the leaders in your organization. That's the owners, that's the managers. From the leaders of the organization, we're going to build up the CSRs, we're going to build up your sales force, and we're going to build up your technicians. All of our training is customer service, our soft sales, and leadership training. We're not doing the technical let's turn the wrenches training yet. And then after we are doing that, the fourth part of our business model is extreme accountability. We're going to hold you accountable to your plan. We're going to help you stay accountable to your plan. We're your partner in that by utilizing metrics. We're going to be looking at your P&Ls. We're going to be looking at your production by technician. And we're going to be just constantly rinsing and repeating. Let's go back to number one. Are we on plan? Let's go back to number two. Are you growing as a leader? Let's go back to number three. Are you growing as an individual in your, in your position? Let's go back to number four. Are we holding each other accountable? Now, that is what we refer to as our business ignition program. 
And we've got multiple levels in that program. So what we really know is that for, for companies to be able to come in and make it make sense, for those programs at the minimum level, they probably need to be doing about a million dollars a year. If you're doing about a million dollars a year, we're going to be able to right out of the gate uh, do some simple things that's going to more than pay for our services. We won't even be a cost to you. We'll help you, you know, plug that in into margins and, and pricing to where we're basically going to be free. So I want to stress that if you're doing about a million, you can make this happen. Um, for those that are, are either under a million or maybe they just want to sample, we do classes periodically. So uh, we've got some classes coming up in September and we got some classes coming up in, in November where if you just wanted to attend the press play for technician class, two and a half days, send a technician to us. We'd love to have them. Technician, electrician, plumbers, any of them, doesn't matter. Uh, we have CSR individuals standalone classes. We have manager individuals standalone classes. And we have sales reps individual standalone classes. And and something that we do that's different with our sales programs is if you don't come to our program and we go, okay, get out your replacement book. Let's flip it now. That's not how we teach sales. We teach sales from a principal base, which means we have a mixed group. There's plumbers in there. There's electricians in there. There's air conditioning guys in there. And that may not sound like that might work for you, but I'm telling you, people leave there and their numbers are never better. Because we focus on the principles, and those principles are universal across any of the trades. Our guest today has been Todd Lyles of Service Excellence, and it has been such a good time to have him on the show. Thanks so much for the information, Todd. You brought so much good content to us, and I know there is so much more behind. Uh, make sure you check him out on the social media and website channels that he provided or the phone number and email that he also listed it's been so good, Todd. And as we wrap up here, I want you to take us out with your passion for the home services industry as we have an upcoming generation that are finally deciding to get into it. What is your passion uh, for the technicians in the field right now for them to turn into the best version of themselves? Guys, there's never been a better time to be getting into the trade. Uh, Brian and Nate can tell you, and we've experienced this, when we got started talking to guys like you 20 years ago about this amazing opportunity, we knew that we were dreaming for the future. Today it exists, especially as this economy is changing. If you have skilled labor and if you're considering becoming a tradesperson, you are going to get to write your own ticket. I guarantee you, I promise you that six-figure high-income earners that are not nailed down to a cubicle is the now and will continue to be the future of the trade. If, if you're in the trades right now or if you're coming into the trades, you are doing something that is going to provide you and your family with job security for the rest of your life. Congratulations on making this decision. And if you're in the trades and you're not getting where you want to be, then just step up the game because I'm going to guarantee you the young guys are going to, going to come in, they're going to embrace this information, and they're going to do it. If you've been doing this for 20 years, it's time for you to do it now. It's never too late to change. Let's embrace it. Let's go. Awesome stuff. Thanks so much for being with us, Todd. We really appreciate it. Hey, that's a wrap for this podcast with Todd. We hope that you enjoyed hearing from him and man, did he have a ton of great content to bring to the table today. I hope you, that you enjoyed his episode. Make sure that you do check him out because he does have so much content. I know that he puts a lot of, uh, a lot of content for free out on his social media channels. I see his videos quite a bit and he brings so much to the table, not only from great sales content, but from a real backing of experience. He's lived it. He's done it. He trains on it daily. 
this is real stuff here. And I think there's so much opportunity to take advantage of with his materials. We hope that he is just one of the many great guests that you're hearing on this podcast. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a five-star review and tell us some more in the comments about what you think or what you'd like to hear on future shows. We really appreciate that. Share this podcast or others like it to people who you think could benefit from it and basically get the word out. We sure love to have more of an influence of positivity and uh, just impact building into the trades. We hope that you are finding yourself a new gear this Monday morning or whenever you're choosing to listen to it. We hope that you're finding yourself a new version to be challenging yourself with. And we hope that you are always choosing to wake up every single morning and waste no day. 